we're going to look at a couple of paragraphs in first, Second Timothy and Titus, and I want to give you a warning. The, sec, the second paragraph in Second Timothy is one long sentence, and I felt like it'd be a lot easier if I tried to make sense out of it and put it in my order. It just is so dense. So that's what we'll be doing today. When I was in high school, uh, one of my good friends was an amateur boxer. He was in Golden Gloves. As a matter of fact, he won the city championship. And in preparation to wear that belt around his waist, he, he had a problem, and I was going to be the one to help him fix it. His problem was that whenever he'd be punched in the face, he would blink. And I know that probably doesn't sound like a problem to you. That sounds more like a solution. But... If, if you're a boxer or a fighter, you can't afford to blink when you get punched in the face. The, the, the whole purpose, I guess, of a jab, you're usually throwing your weaker hand in a person's face, and, and that's only to load up your stronger hand. So the purpose of a jab is to get a person to blink so that while they're blinking, here comes you know, a right hook or uppercut or even a straight right. And next thing you know, you're at home with your mom eating pancakes, <laughs> playing with a fire truck. Uh, so I've been told. That's how it happens. Anyway, so Russell needed to learn how to not blink when he was getting punched, and that's where I came in. And because what he did is asked me over to his house, and he needed someone small and weak, and I qualified apparently. He gloved me up and then put his hands behind his back, and then I would punch him in the face until I was exhausted. I know. I, I didn't hang around the smartest people in school, but it, was, it worked. His eyes are wide open the whole time, and I'm punching him until I have to quit. The idea was that if you get punched enough, you'll stop blinking. If you get punched enough, you won't be afraid of being punched. And there's our lesson today. If you face your fears, you won't blink at them. Most of our fears, most of our fears are bigger in our imagination than they are in reality. And if you face them, you won't fear them and you won't blink. You'll probably, here's what happens when people face their fears. They say, is that all? That's what I've been afraid of. And so today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is written by Paul to a couple of ministers like you and like me that were fearful, and he's trying to give them courage. Ministers like you. And, and he's going to guide them. That's our theme. He's going to guide them so that they won't blink, so that they'll face their fear, so that they'll realize they'll say, that is that all? And that's what we're doing in this whole series together. We're all trying to be disciples and to make disciples. A disciple is a person who's growing, you know, in their likeness to Christ in all of life. And we're trying to take someone along with us. And we're trying to guide a younger brother or sister with us because we were told to do that and it's a good thing. And in this section of Scripture here, we have the ultimate graduating senior, Paul. And I say that because he's in a Roman prison and he will not leave Rome alive. That's what I mean by graduating. He's going to graduate into the next life. And he's written three letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, to his young freshman pastors. And he's going to, in the context of these letters, are perfect for this 
conversation and for, for you and for me because these younger men, Timothy and Titus, they've become timid and afraid and they're starting to flinch and they're blinking at punches they shouldn't be afraid of. Probably because of the wear and tear of ministry, quite possibly because they've been attacked for believing in the gospel. It might be compassion fatigue, but here's, here's the real problem. They've become ashamed. They've become ashamed. And so these three letters are intensely personal to people that Paul clearly loves. They're written to these men. They're written to us. They want to be guided out of this fearfulness. You want to be a guide? Do you want to be a discipler? You want to be a person that makes a difference in other people's lives? You're going to need this word first and foremost. First and foremost, this lesson is brought to you by the word courage. Courage. It is the anchor of the virtues. Look what C.S. Lewis said about courage. Courage is not simply one of the virtues but a form of every virtue at its testing point, which means at the point of its highest reality. A chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only under certain conditions. Like Pilate was merciful until it became risky. See, without courage, you can't have a lot of faith, but if you don't have courage, you'll buckle when it matters. You can have integrity like no other person has ever had integrity. But when it's time to stay in the game, you're going to fold because it's courage that keeps you there. You can have the endurance of an Arabian stallion, but if you're afraid to finish the last lap, you won't finish at all. And courage has many styles. I mean, there's like boom courage where a person will give their life for a noble cause. And then there's like Heartbreak Hill courage, where it's a hundred choices a day, day after day, one day at a time, though. And so, know this. If, if I'm just the pastor and you're the… you will be a minister of encouragement. If you want to make a difference, you will be a minister of encouragement. Look at that word, encouragement. It means to put courage inside someone. It literally means to come alongside and strengthen someone. I went to a wonderful seminary that was built around the idea of making disciples and those disciples making disciples, becoming like Christ in all of life. And, and they knew the power of encouragement. One of our classrooms over the door so that every time you exited, you would read this sign so that you could know how to make disciples. It said this, people live by encouragement, and without it, they die. They die slowly and sadly and bitterly. I saw that every day for three years. Now, watch the passage that we look at today, and I want you to be thinking in the context of the fullness or the wholeness in which Paul is going to direct these words of encouragement to Timothy and Titus. He's going to talk to them emotionally and intellectually and, <clears throat> I'm so sorry, and, and their volition. He's going to go after their emotions. He's going to say, we have a great relationship together, and he's going to express that in vivid colors. He's going to, intellectually, he's going to say, look, he's working our outline, per relationship, truth. He's going, to, he's going to address their intellect, and he's going to tell them the truth, and they're going to build on 
what he says about the knowledge of God. And then finally, he's going to address their will, the spirit. And he's going to say, you can do this, these courageous things because you're not alone. Okay, intellect, emotion, and will. He's also going to do relationship, truth, and spirit. Let's look at the first thing um, together. It says relationship, in relationships, he's expressing his affection uh, for these two men. And I want you to listen to the depth of his love for these two men, and I want you to listen how boldly and clearly he states his love and his respect. These are grown men talking to grown men, to be clear. Okay, here to Timothy first. My dear son, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus the Lord. Now to Titus. To Titus, my true son in our common faith. Grace and peace from God, the Father of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He calls them both his son. That must be an endearing letter to receive. And then let's go back to Timothy. Look what he says to Timothy. I thank God. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I'm recalling your tears. I long to see you so that, my, that I might be filled with joy. I'm praying for you all the time. I'm remembering the, the tears you had when we parted, and I can't wait to see you. It would bring me great joy to see you again. Th these men are in a great relationship. They are champions for each other. These are grown men talking to each other, and they need each other, so they are exchanging their expressions of encouragement and the depth of their relationship. You cannot be a disciple and a lone ranger. The Lone Ranger wasn't even a Lone Ranger. <laughs> I mean, there's Tonto everywhere. So Paul knows that you can't live the Christian life by yourself. And they're, they're fine telling each other about their love for one another. Do you, know how we, do you know how we know about the love that Paul has for Timothy and Titus? I mean, do, do you know how... Do you know how Timothy and Titus are so certain of Paul's affection for him, for them? Do you know how we know that? Because he said it with words, like out loud. He didn't just think it, he said it. You want to be a guide? You want to make disciples? You want to help others become like Christ in all of life? You want to change someone's world? <laughs> Be encouraging out loud with words. Now, <laughs> I look around. I know some of you, and I know some of you are much better at this. Others not so much. And so we're going to do a little drill today. We're going to practice this before we leave. I'm not going to ask you to hug, okay? Not yet. We're going to work up into that later, okay? So here's, here's a modern translation in some respects of what Paul said. It says, he says to these men, grown men, I love you. It would give me great joy to see you again. Now, we're going to all say that out loud, but here's the assignment that you need to say this phrase to a non-relative, to the member of the same sex, I can't be your wife or son. Okay. This week, 
Okay, you're going to say this to the member of the same sex that's not a relative this week. We're going to practice right now. Some of you, I just want you to mumble it. That'd be great, baby steps. Some of you just lip sync it. Come on, man, just lip sync it. So are you ready? Let's brace. Inhale, exhale, face your fear. Here we go. I love you. It would give me great joy to see you again. You can do that this week, can't you? That's the easiest part of our time together. Now we're going to get preaching. There's some good stuff coming now. Might need some help. What's the theme of what's happening here? Paul is going to help these men and you and me become courageous. He's going to impart courage because they are timid and they're afraid and it's gotten so bad that they've become ashamed. And this relational strength is not enough. This emotional tug, it can't get them to this place. And so where does Paul get his courage? How does this old saint get this resolve that he has that where he doesn't fear torture or death? Here's the thing. Paul fears the right thing, God. And Paul does not fear the wrong things. Shame, torture, and death. He doesn't blink at these things. How does that happen? That happens because, and he's going to do this with Paul, with Timothy and Titus, he needs, he, he's going to tell them to think and renew their belief in the power of the sovereign hand of God. He's going to tell them to right, re-believe or fortify their faith in the sovereign hand of the great God that they serve. That's what he's going to be up to. And here's what his theme is, that truth, and this is the truth part, that God is greater. God is greater, God is greater than everything. Fill in the blank. God is greater. And so sure, sure, the point is, Paul's going, you know what? Yeah, I get it. You're timid. You're shy. Maybe embarrassed. But here's what you have to do. You have to face this fear because oftentimes your imagined fear is so much greater than the real fear. And when you face that fear, you'll say, is, is that all? This is how you learn how not to blink at the punch. You must see life. You must see your life in the context of a greater story that precedes you and goes after you, and it's part of the story of the will of God. It is the providence of God. It is the sovereignty of God, and you need to see yourself swept up in that so that you don't think you're just showing up. Look, at, look, how, uh, look how he's saying this to, to Timothy here in 2 Timothy uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I remi- I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And, 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 and I'm persuaded of this, that it now lives in you also. So Paul's saying, look, look at your story, Timothy. And he's not saying, look, you have, you have a great heritage, so there you, therefore you should have a great faith. You need to see that he's not blaming, you know, his ancestors for his sincere faith. He's, he's, saying, he's saying, no, 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 you're... Your ancestry is part of this bigger sovereign story. This just happens to be your story. Therefore, have courage. If Paul was saying to Timothy, uh, look, you've got a great faith going there because of your mother and grandmother, what about the rest of us? 
You know, I mean, what if he weren't writing, what if we weren't writing Timothy? He was writing maybe me or you. He's like, you know what? You know, I met your mom and yeah, your grandmother's not so good either. So yeah, you ought to be afraid. I mean, if I were you, I'd be, I'd be pretty scared too. Uh, it's too bad you don't have a mother and grandmother like, like Timothy. But so anyway, good luck. It's not what he's doing. He's telling Timothy, he's reminding Timothy of Timothy's story because Timothy's story is part of so much bigger and greater and grander story. This is what he's saying. Everyone's story is a supreme act of God's sovereignty. Everyone's story is a supreme act of God's sovereignty. Every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ has a mind-blowing story that's part of God's providential will that is written before time and makes angels weep. And when you see yourself in the context of that, you'll be encouraged. You'll be encouraged. Let me give you... A contrary example. Okay, let's, let's, let's imagine, shall we, about poor Jane. Poor Jane never has a chance, and there's no reason for her to, her to be encouraged because she'll never, she'll never know God. I mean, poor Jane, she was, uh, her ancestry, is she was raised by atheists from a string of family members that were anti, even anti-theists. Let's just pretend poor Jane even joined a cult in college, right? Oh, whoa, poor Jane. Look, you add anything you want to this story, she was left in a jungle and raised by apes. Um, that was Tarzan. So anyway, you get the idea. So, so the idea here is, is that if you think that your life or anyone's life is, is a victim of these stacking circumstances that make it impossible for a person to be courageous, then what you're saying is, oh, if only poor Jane had a mother or grandmother like Titus or Timothy, then all would be well. Let me tell you what Paul is saying here. Fine, poor Jane, throw all you want into this storyline so that you would think that the odds of her ever knowing or enjoying God would be all but impossible. And now, and now, the author has entered the game, and he is in control, and, and, and the supreme ruler of the story itself. Add this truth. This is the truth part. Add this. An accurate, attractive understanding of the supremacy of the sovereignty of God. Now continue the story that the, that the God of all creation with all power and a plan, calls Jane. And she feels a tug. Her soul becomes restless and will not be satisfied. There has to be more to this life. And she is tortured until there's resolution. And then poor Jane sits next to somebody on a plane, a minister, not like me, like you. Hey, what's that book you're reading? I'm glad you asked. Now that God, the sovereign God of the universe, has entered this story, she's in the lobby of a huge convention, and people are running around in a panic like they always are, and someone comes up to Jane and touches her on the elbow and says, you know, I saw you from a distance, and I just feel like I need to ask you, can I pray for you? 
She meets somebody in a church when we say hi to one another. She moves onto a street where someone on that street actually believes that they're the chaplain of those houses. You see, the story changes when you, when you add this, the greatness of the supremacy of the sovereignty of God. Everyone's story, your story, is a story that's part of the narrative of God's glory. That's how you become courageous. That's why you're not timid. That's why there's no reason to be sheepish. That's why you don't have to blink when a punch is coming. Are you encouraged by that? Look what he says to Titus. He says, my aim is to raise hopes by pointing the way to eternal life, which God promised before the beginning of time. And God does not lie. <laughs> he, even, he adds in Titus' letter, and God doesn't lie about this. This is the thing. There's this big conviction of the supremacy of God, and there's this, this eternal narrative that the ink was dry before the earth had cooled. This story is already written. And so all your fears, right, all your timidity, all, all these things that you should face, you're going to find out that they're, they're not as bad as you imagine them to be. And you'll say, is that all? Because they're all so temporal. They're also temporal in light of an eternal story. So Paul says to Titus, before, before the beginning. And, and so he's saying to Timothy and Titus, know this. It's all about eternity past. You didn't just get here. You didn't just show up. Look what he says to Timothy. Same phrase. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. It's just like shown up now. Do you see? It's just gotten to that point. And so you, the courage comes from believing this truth. This, this truth that every soul that follows Jesus Christ is supposed to have a sense, a conviction rather, not a sense, not a feeling, a conviction of destiny. Destiny about their own lives, about who they are, where they are, when they are. Because the narrative of their life was written by God himself before the beginning of time. And therefore, you shouldn't be timid. You shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be shy. You should be courageous. And so this day, today, I want you to make a decision about where your faith is. I want you to make a decision to believe, right, that God has worked out in all of his sovereign will that you would be in, would you, you would literally be in church today. You didn't just show up here. He was part of all of that. That's one place to put your faith. There's another place. There's a place where I, I actually hear this entirely too often, and that is uh, the, f the feeling of consequence of circumstance. You know, sometimes I think the only reason I'm a, a Christian is because I was, you know, raised in the South, and my parents were Christians, and I say to those people, you're not a Christian. You're a church attender. That's not how salvation works. <laughs> It's not circumstantial. That's not how salvation, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this, that if you were raised in the Middle East 
from a family of Muslims during the Crusades, God would break into that as part of his storyline, all the while enjoying and respecting the dignity of your human freedom, and you would still be his. It's, it's the conviction of destiny based on promises of God. Courage comes from knowing how powerful God is. Are you encouraged by that truth? There's a, there's a part to this story where you can, you can see Tim, Paul say to Timothy, it's, a, it's about the death thing, isn't it? Is, right? That's what you're afraid of. Dying. That's what makes you blink. I understand that. But you need to face that fear. You shouldn't, you shouldn't blink at death because your imagined fear of death is greater than the reality of fear itself. Paul takes this head on, and he says this in one chapter, or chapter 110. He says, but it has now been revealed, this plan of eternity past has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who destroyed death, and in exchange for that, he has brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. He's saying, look, he did, he, Look at the violence of this phrase. He destroyed death and brought in life and immortality. He's saying to Timothy, he's saying to Titus, he's saying to you, he's saying to anyone who fears God, or I'm sorry, fears death in light of knowing God, he's saying, death isn't who we used to be. That bully finally got taken to the cleaners. And if you read on his death certificate, death by humiliation. It happened on Resurrection Sunday. On that day, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus' first words to death was, is that all? Now you leave my children alone. And then death said, Yes, my king. Is there anything else, my king? And he said, not now. There is no fear in death when your fear is blinded by the light of the gospel. There is no fear in death when your fear is blinded by the light of the gospel. Are you encouraged by that truth? What if today God were to take away the thing that you're most afraid of? Who would you be? What if he took away the thing that keeps making you blink? Here's how it would happen in the knowledge of who he is, 
the power of his nature, the realization that he has a plan, and he is working his will out right now. That's how you kill that fear. With those truths in mind, is it any wonder, this, it takes a long time to get to these verses, knowing all that, look how he says now to these guys, for the Spirit of God, but for the Spirit God gave us <laughs> does not make us timid. How could it? We don't blink anymore, but it gives us power. Oh, absolutely. Love, sacrificial, overflowing, expressive, self-discipline. Well, sure. Next sentence. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or, the t- or me, his prisoner, rather. Join with me in suffering. <laughs> suffering for the gospel. It's the power of God. Doesn't all of that make sense now? Sure. That's what happens. And listen, there's still more to this. He talks about his affectionate relationship with him that he expresses you know, quite clearly. And then he talks about the truth of the power and the sovereignty of God. And then in addition to that, he says, well, you're not alone. You're not alone in any of this, you guys. Then look what he says. He says, um, guard, 114 says, guard the good deposit in which has been entrusted to you. Says it again, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The Spirit lives in us. When Jesus was leaving, you can imagine the 11 disciples were nervous because they were about to lose his presence. He was going to leave them. And he says, no, 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 listen, don't worry about that. Don't be afraid of that. Stop blinking because I've already prayed that the Father would send the Spirit. And his name is, same Greek word, it's just translated different, that he would send the helper, that he would send the comforter, that he would send the encourager. The word means the encourager, the Holy Spirit, the encourager, to give courage, (laughs) to stand next to to strengthen. He sent the Spirit so we wouldn't be alone. Are you encouraged by that truth? That truth and the presence of the Spirit, that that will change your life. Timothy was able to see Paul one time after this was written. And he got to Rome to watch Paul be martyred. And then he went back to Ephesus and he pastored the largest church in that area. And he was inspired and guided by the memory of Paul's love for him, the promises of God and the sovereignty of God. And he knew that the Spirit of God was with him and would never leave him. He was a great pastor into his old age. And then one day, the local pagans wanted to have a festival for all of their idols, and they turned it into a parade in a... I'm sorry, did I say Titus all of a sudden? Timothy couldn't take it anymore. And so he rushed down to stop this fiasco, and he showed up with decades of stored courage, and they showed up with clubs, and they beat the old man without any mercy. 
and left him in the streets. Eventually, he opened his eyes, and he woke up, and he saw Paul. And he said, is that all? And Paul said, yeah, that's all. And then Timothy said, you know, it's kind of silly to be so afraid of the thing that rewards you beyond your wildest imagination. There's no reason to fear death. It brings reward. And then Paul said to Timothy, it's funny that you should say reward. Would you like to meet the king? I think he has a crown for you. Have you been encouraged today? These things are true. They're promises of God. Let's live courageously. Lord, I, at this moment, am overwhelmed with gratitude that your spirit would call my soul home. And shame on me for forgetting that, the power of that spirit that dwells within me. Lord, we're grateful that for these promises, for these proofs, for you dancing on the grave of death and mocking it. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us be a strong and courageous church, but one that encourages one another. Maybe that courage starts with showing and declaring our affection for someone that you've put in our life in a special way. Lord, I'd ask that you'd bless our church, make our whole church be a church of encouragers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.